Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today has been sponsored and dedicated to the loving memory of Ms. Lili Safra Lea Shalom. Her philanthropy has reached so many throughout the world. And as well, um, in a uh, leftover from the what before Shabbat, we also, uh, it was dedicated uh, in, uh, in uh, uh, celebration of the birthday of... Uh, of uh, Stephanie, uh, we gave you the shout out as well on Shabbat. Uh, so, Azakuvok Stephanie, Stephanie Dadon Haber, and it was dedicated by Avram Simmons, wishing you a life full of happiness uh, and success. And as well, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David Yash, in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do it today and every day. We mentioned last night in the Hakdama to Silichot, uh, for all those that didn't see, uh, the uh, the event live or uh, or online. If you'd like to, you can actually go uh, to the in, the synagogue's Instagram page, or if anyone wants a copy, it's also it will also be on on our YouTube channel, where you have uh, going. We're going through all the silichot uh, that are going to be mentioned on Yom Kippur and explaining them. And one of the comments that Rabbi Mizrahi made last night is a comment that I'd like to begin with tonight. We'd like to begin with today. The pasuk says. <clears throat> <clears throat> One of the interpretations of that pasuk is that when God brings you kapara, He brings you kapara for all the sins that you made in front of God. But that the sins that a person has between themselves and their fellow man, HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not bring you kapara. Not only that, every uh, the Gemara gives a list of which things a person needs in order to be able to get kapara, to get forgiveness in their life. So if a person did a sin like this, it requires a korban. A person did a sin like this, it requires a korban and Yom Kippur. A person did a sin like this, it requires korban, you know, this, Kippur, and uh, Yisurin, and to have difficulties in his life. And a certain mitzvot that a person, only time he gets kapara, is uh, with death itself, and that's the mitzvah, or the Avera, rather, of, of Chilul, of Chilul Hashem. My friends, however, that's only true on a mitzvah, ben adam makom between God and man. But when you have a mitzvah, when you have an Avera, that was not fulfilled between man and their fellow man, nothing gets you forgiveness. The only thing that gets you forgiveness is asking that person for forgiveness. So, my friends, we, we mentioned yesterday in, this, in the uh, Shubah Derashah, we talked about the idea of saying sorry, of, of apologizing. There's nothing more offensive than an insincere apology. So a lot of times you have a guy comes up to you and they're like, Yamaychal me? Remember that in yeshiva. Yamaychal me? Now for those of you who don't speak yeshiva, okay? Yamaychal me stands for, in Roshet uh, Tevot, are you mochel me? Okay? That's how they would say it. Right? What, what, what is that? Right? And then, like, before you could even answer, they're like, Yemagli, Yemagli, two more times. They're like, I asked you three times. Now it's your problem. Sorry. Not a single opinion follows that approach. Not one shita in halakha says that if you bark the words, are you mochel me at someone, especially an hour before Yom Kippur, that you've fulfilled your obligation of asking mechila, slicha o chapara. It needs to be that the person understands 
that you are sincerely apologetic. If you've not fulfilled that most basic requirement of asking for forgiveness, of course the person doesn't have to forgive you, and of course you've also not fulfilled your obligation. The poskim actually talk about a scenario where you have someone who forgives you and you know they forgive you. Where do you have a scenario like that? Let's say I have a person who stands up publicly and they say with all sorts of feeling and conviction, I, behold, I forgive anybody for anything they ever did, all the kids in my class in school, all the people in the synagogue in the community, all of this one and that one. He mentions all, the guy forgives everybody. Just because someone forgives you doesn't mean that you don't have to ask forgiveness. Now that sounds like an interesting thing because we think that the purpose of asking forgiveness is in order to get the person to forgive you. But as Mark said, off uh, the stage left, it's different. Why is it different, Mark? Because that's, that's about that you. Excellent. That's his deal with you. But your deal with him, you never solved. Once I've hurt your feelings, even if you forgive me, I have a problem. I have an issue that I need to rectify. And the only way I can get that rectified is by coming forward and saying, I'm sorry. I, the way I explain it is, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Selachna, please forgive. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Salachti, I have forgiven. Even if God says, Salachti, I have forgiven, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu still needs to say, Selachna, please forgive. Because you have an obligation to come and make that statement. So my friends, a person who has a brain, a person who's prepared, a person who takes this process seriously, is not going to leave it for Yom Kippur afternoon in the middle of the Seuda where he's going to call, you know, they used to have on, on the phones, you could have in your contacts, in the top you could list favorites. Could you imagine you have a guy, he has listed in his phone, <laughs> least favorites. Right? All the people you don't like, he speaks Lashon Arab out, he tries to mess over, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't treat with respect. Right? Imagine there was a list, right? Mass text uh, uh, idea. So you have at least the least favorite people. So those people, a lot of times, a person will think to themselves, you know what, I'm not going to ask that person, Mechila. Those are the people you need to focus on the most. You're going to call the guy during Yom Kippur Seuda. You know, you're not going to get it done. It's not going to seem sincere. And not only that, who wants to say, I forgive, when they know the only reason why you're calling them is because you're nervous for Yom Kippur. Doesn't that undermine the sincerity of your, of, your, uh, of your bakasha. Now, it's true. It's not that the person doesn't get it, because you know what? He's also making phone calls. So everybody understands where everybody else is coming from. But really, ideally, that should not be the case. That's why we have Elul. That's why we have Aseret So to take the chance between now and Yom Kippur to try and make sure that you rack your brains and you think, who are the people that I need to ask Mechila from? Now, it is... It is important to understand that the mitzvot ben adam lechaveru. So, Rabbi, we have a standard request of Mechila. We, we have a first here. We have a question on the broadcast. Mechavod. <laughs> Interact. Oh, yeah. So, no, you can let him ask the question. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, the question is, is what's the effect of if I said something or if I... Please forgive me. Is that uh, an apology 
where you have to have an actual specification of an event or a circumstance to apologize for, but not this omnibus over overall. I apologize if I ever did anything. So I think that's a little bit what Mark was alluding to. Mass texts. Very hard to say that that applies in any way, shape, or form. However, however, it might still be a nice thing. Let me tell you why. Because even if the person is not necessarily uh, fulfilling the obligation of forgiveness with a mass text saying, if I did anything to you, please forgive me, we find that the Chachamim also made and instituted in tefillah these mass text-like ideas. So as an example, we say, I behold, I forgive anyone that ever got me angry. You're not thinking about that guy that punched you in the nose on the, 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 the evening of March the 7th, 1962. You're not necessarily, you're saying a general statement, but the general statement is a petach. It opens up something. And uh, a lot of times uh, you get uh, people that will reach out to you and they'll say, I saw you ask forgiveness. I just want you to know, you know, I, I didn't know if you forgot about it, but you know, you sideswiped my car, you were supposed to pay me, right? I did a service for you, you never paid me. You know, I did the, uh, you know, rabbi, I gave a speech, I was supposed to get, I didn't get paid back, I didn't do this. You made a donation to, the, to my tzedakah, you never fulfilled the donation. Sometimes it becomes a petach. So I don't know if it's a bad thing, I don't think it should be abolished. <laughs> but if that's taking the place of your, Asking forgiveness of people, I'm sorry to, add, to say to you, uh, you, have, you have another thing coming. Now, I want to just say, it is not just in the realm of mechilas lichau chapara that a person has an obligation to ensure that they're being sensitive to their friends, to their friends' needs, to their friends' feelings. I want to share with you in a, crazy, uh, a crazy example. The uh, Gemara tells us about a time where Rabbi Pilhas ben Yair was traveling with his students. It's a Yerushalmi. And the Yerushalmi says that he gets to this river, and as he gets to the river, he, uh, what's it called? He speaks to the river, and he says, what are you doing? Ginai, Ginai, what are you doing? You got to get out of my way. I need to go. And as he steps forward, the water sep- separates and allows him to walk forward. A mini version of Kiryat Yamsuf. Anyway, the students ask him, and they say, could we also, are we also going to be able to go with you like this? Or if we go in, are we going to drown? So he tells the students, he says, if anyone is, can, be, can say to themselves, can say about themselves, that they never in their life hurt the feelings of another Jewish person, then they can follow me in the river. So you see that this idea is also a proactive thing. It's also something which helps a person in the positive sense. So that there, there are miracles that are done for a person. There are heightened levels of biracha that are brought to a person who's careful with the, uh, with the feelings, with the sensitivities of the people around them. So not only in Aseret Yimeh do we have this weight on us to try and get it off, if we're going to be strict about all sorts of mitzvot, like Chalav Yisrael and Pat Yisrael, and if you, even if you're not usually strict on Bishul Yisrael, Sfaradim, go for it, Glak Kosher, like we still talked about the other day, how much more so is there this focused determination to make sure to fulfill my, uh, my uh, uh, obligations towards my brother, towards my sister, towards my fellow, towards my fellow Jew amongst Am Yisrael. So 
I want to talk, if I can, just a little bit about this idea, about what it means to ask forgiveness from another Jew. What is, a, what is this concept of asking forgiveness from another Jew? The Gemara relates a very interesting story. Gemara relates about a certain one of the Amoraim, Rabbah, who hired some workers to do a job for him. And what was the job that he hired them to do? He hired them to carry a barrel of wine for him, to transport it from one place to the other. Anyway, these workers, very poor workers, they take the bottle, the barrel of wine, very expensive barrel of wine, and they start transporting this bottle of wine, the barrel of wine, to where it's supposed to go. On the way, they get halfway there, whatever, all the way, they drop the barrel, barrel breaks, wine's gone. They come to the guy, they come to Rabbi, and they say, look, you know, it's true we didn't deliver the wine, but we worked all this amount of work that we worked for you, and we didn't get paid, and we need the money. Rabbi says, are you joking? I paid you to deliver the thing. Not only did you not do the work, you cost me a tremendous amount of damage. They went to uh, Rav, and Rav said to him, he said, pay them. So he asked them, Dina hachi? Is this the law? What was he really asking? He was asking, like sometimes you get people in the community, Rabbi, is this the minhag? Right? Is this the spirit, Rabbi, or is this, is this the law? Do I have to? Dina hachi? And he says, yes. Dina hachi. Why? For you. For you, you have to do that which is right and that which is just. Now, to me, this was a game changer. Because you think about what this means. My obligations tell me that I don't have to do, that I don't have to give it. Different opinions in the Gemara. One opinion is that the reason why it was Vasita Yashavatov was because he was rich and they were poor. Right? But even if you don't go that according to that opinion, that means that something I don't have an obligation to do, there's another obligation called doing the right thing. Vasita Yashavatov. Now, it's interesting because there's many different opinions as to what is classified in Vasita Yashai Ve'atov. Ramban writes that the Torah could not discuss every eventuality that would ever come up in the history of man, in the evolution of, uh, of time. So therefore, it gave you a catch-all to tell you Vasita Yashai Ve'atov, everything that's there. But really, he's describing what seems to be the mitzvot that are already in the game. But from this Gemara, we're seeing that there's also responsibilities that are outside of the realm of your regular chiyuvim, which means, come on, do the right thing. Be a good guy. My friends, this obligation, I think, changes the name of the game when it comes to the way a person sees ben adam l'chavero and the way also they see what they need to ask forgiveness in ben adam l'chavero. Let's say, as an example, this, these workers had never gone to Rav. Rav had never told them to go tell Rabbah that he has to pay them. Rabbah had never asked Rav, Dina Hachi. I want you to imagine, they break the barrel, they don't have the chutzpah to ask to get paid, he doesn't pay them. In Shamaim, it's clear from the Gemara, Rabbah would have had a problem. Why? Because he was supposed to pay them. Ay, the halacha doesn't say so. I, the only Dina Hachi is Vasita Yashavatov. The answer is Dina Hachi still. The way you treat your workers, 
A person has to do that which is just and that which is correct. Now, it's interesting to me that those words, they seem to be, in a certain sense, a lost art. You speak to the old timers and you ask them, should we do this, should we not? Why should we do it? They said, this is the, this is the correct way. You ever hear the old timers, they talk? Yeah? They say, this is proper. This is the right way. This is how we used to do it. This is... They can't even tell you why that's the right thing. But they know that something is correct and they know that something is proper. This is not how a person treats a, a worker, treats another human being. I remember I was in the Beit Knesset and I had my hands clasped behind my back. I don't know that there's any halakha that says that you're not allowed to have your hands clasped behind your back when you're praying. But I remember that at the, to- at the time, Charlie Suruya Lava Shalom, walked up behind me, slapped my hands down. He said, this is not how we stay in the shul. This is not how we stand in the shul. They understood a ema, a fear, and a kavod for the Beit Knesset. Now, Chacham Uvadia writes about crossing your legs. There's halachot that are written about certain behaviors in the Beit Knesset. But there's certain halachot that are not written about. Hands in the pockets, right? Could you imagine? Stand there like this when you're praying. Right? Certain things are written about, but there's certain things that are unwritten where a person understands what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing to do. Suddenly we realize that there's something else going on here. And I, I just want to share one thing that I think is a particular bugaboo, particular uh, uh, issue for me in my life, I'm noticing, and maybe it's worth sharing in this context. This happens to me all the time. I'm sitting there talking to someone during the Kiddush on Shabbat, or after Tefillah, someone will come up right in the middle of the conversation and start talking. Oh, hey, Rabbi, how was Shabbat? What a profound disrespect that is. Ironically, not for me. I'm a big boy. I don't really mind so much. It doesn't bother. These things don't get under my skin. But I'm talking to someone. How does that person feel that you rate them if you walked in in the middle of their conversation and just started talking over them as if they don't matter whatsoever. What a profound level of lack of ben adam lechavero. I cannot find you in the Gemara, in the, the, in the Tosefta, in the Sifri, in the Midrash. I cannot find you where it says, thou shalt not start a conversation in the middle of someone else's conversation. But certain things are basic human decency. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how successful what your last name is or which community you come from. If someone's in the middle of speaking to someone, you don't walk in and start talking while they're talking. It illustrates that I don't think that someone is in the middle of saying something and you're like, nah, that's not right. The reason is you just humiliated someone in public. What do we say about Malbim Pnei Chavero Berabim? Anyone remember? Loses portion of the world to come. If you have a choice of embarrassing someone publicly, says the Gemara, or jumping in a furnace of fire, mutav better shiapil atzmo lekivshan ha'esh into a furnace of fire. Where do we learn it from? We learn it from Marukva. 
Marukva used to give money uh, on the sly, quiet, Friday uh, before Shabbat, so people would have money to make Shabbat. He puts money out every day, and he runs away, him and his wife. They go to one guy's door, they put the money there, the guy throws open the door, he's been waiting for them. Marukva doesn't want the guy to see him and be embarrassed, so he turns around, him and his wife, and they start running. The guy's chasing them. They're running up one down, one street down, the other back, forth, till eventually they get to a place there's nowhere to go. Marukva sees that there's a baker's oven uh, down the road. The way they used to work was the baker's oven was a big oven, and they would have enough uh, fire in it, it would burn, they wouldn't start it again and again, they would just put less fuel in it in the nighttime, that way it would be ready to go first thing in the morning, 4 a.m., when you're starting to, you know, time to make the donuts, right? You would get straight into the game, because it would still be hot. He jumps into the furnace with his wife. That's what it says. And he's burning his feet, and her feet are not being burned. Why? He asks his wife, are you a bigot, tzaddiket, and I'm a tzaddik? How come your feet are not getting burned and mine are? And she says, you know what the difference is? You give an ani money. He still needs to go buy the food. But when they come to me, I give them food directly from the kitchen. That extra level of ben adam lechavero was a layer of protection that her feet wasn't getting burned. So he stands on his wife's feet. So he shouldn't be burned. Isn't that wild? You see this concept again. The power of the smallest difference. They're both giving tzedakah. But one of them gives tzedakah in a way where the hana'ah, the enjoyment, is immediate. You don't have to go out and buy the thing. And that was enough to be able to create a material difference between a tzaddik and his tzaddiket wife. Everything when it comes to kavod, uh, to respect for a person, everything when it comes to respect for a person, is all about the nuance, the sensitivity, and the noticing. Yesterday I walked outside, and as we walked outside, you know the doors of the synagogue, you know, are big enough to let Ogmele Chabashan out. Okay, so the door opens, you can't see beyond it because it's big, thick, long, high. So as you're walking out, my son steps in the way of some woman that's walking right by the door. Okay, so she almost bumps into him, she steps out of the way, carries on. You know, after all, a New Yorker. So I said to my son, I said, go say I'm sorry. He said, why should I say I'm sorry? He says, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't do it on purpose. I said to him, what in the world does that have to do with anything? If you startle someone, if you frighten someone, if you hurt someone, it matters that you didn't intend to do so. It doesn't matter. You hurt them. All the time, this kind of thing happens in the world, in the realm of Yehudi. I want to share with you and end with this. The startling observation of the Mabit. Okay, this is not some guy, you know, uh, uh, you know, who wrote a pamphlet for Shabbat. This is the Mabit, okay? One of the great uh, authors of, uh, of a thousand years ago. Maybe a little bit less, okay? 800, yeah? The Mabit wrote something incredible. Listen to this. He says, if you take a look at the, uh, at the Luchot, you'll notice that there are less words in the mitzvot ben adam lechaveroh ben adam lemakom than there are in the words of ben adam lemakom. 
בין אדם למקום, אנוכי השם וכי השם יוצאתם מהם מצרים, right? long. לא יהיה לך חלקים אחרים מהפריים, תעשו לך פסל, you know, תמונת קול. long. each one of the עשרת הדברות on the right side is long. on the left side, לא תסח, לא. next one, next one, next one. Why? Only less when you have Lotahmon is a long, is one sentence. He says, how come the words, the commandments, Ben Adam Lamakom, were lengthy, and the commandments Ben Adam Lamakom, Lechavero, between man and his friend on the left side, how come they were kept short? The Mabit says this. He says, because the commandments had to be written on the Luchot. So we have, on top of the, the Bet Knesset, on top of the Aaron many times, you see, Anochi Hashem. But that's not what was on the Luchot that Moshe brought down. When Luchot that Moshe brought down, it's all of the Aseret that they brought. Okay? From Anochi to Chol Hashem Re'echa. From the beginning until the end. He said, and if there's more words and more letters in Ben Adam Lamakom, the letters will be smaller. And if there's less words and there's less letters, then you can make the font bigger. If you've ever been to, a, to school in the era of computers, you'll know this. You write a very sparse book report. What do you do? You know, it's only half a page. You dial up the size of the font. You're like, this is a 12-page report. You know, two letters on each page, right? Why, says the Mabit? So that the lesser amount of letters would allow the letters to be bigger. They're not the same size. In order that you should realize from far away what was so important to God, the mitzvot between man and their fellow man. Now I want to share one element about this concept about the Mabit. Part of the reason why God needed to do that was because of the context in which the Aserta Debrot were given. To whom did God give the Aserta Debrot? Who did he give it to? He gave it to people who had been as previous, as prior as seven weeks, right? They were slaves. These are slaves who had just been redeemed. I'm Israel, they were slaves 210 years, right? One of the things that a slave is often liable to not be aware of is the value of a human being. The value of a person's will, their destiny, their personal space, their feelings. You know why? Because the slave himself is treated like a piece of garbage. They lived in a society that worshipped gods. So the question for the right side of the Luchot was, who, which god should you worship? And therefore, there's a lot of time spent expressing, explaining which god <laughs> Which, who is he? What did he do? How do you know who he is? Lo yelecha. Am I allowed to have another one if I have him? Lo yelecha. Because they were, right, they lived in polytheistic society. Okay? However, when it came to mitzvot ben adam lechavero, you were introducing a whole new concept. What, you mean I can't just kill a person because he's getting on my nerves? That was the reality of a slave in Egypt. Lo tignov. You can't steal something from someone else. That was the reality they lived with. Everything was taken from them. And therefore, there needed to be an extra emphasis. And I was thinking to myself, today, 
we would receive the same luchot that they received then. Because in an era where people are so callous one to another, where you could step over a whole group of people, where your, your political opinion is the word of God, and if someone has another opinion to you, that's ridiculous. That's insane. Right? That's how we, that's how we act. So we're liable to forget the value and the importance of a person's opinion, of a person's feelings. And in that, uh, and in that vein, during these Aseret Meteshuvah, we have an opportunity to rectify that. So I want to issue a, a couple small challenges. It's very hard. Let people finish their sentences. Sounds like a radical idea. Let people finish their sentences. Don't assume you already know what they're going to say. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, right? That's what you're going to say? Sometimes you're right. right? Sometimes. Sometimes you're wrong. Let them speak. Okay? Don't assume you know already what someone's going to tell you. Not from the first half a sentence. <laughs> and finally, my friends, finally, I'm issuing this challenge that I began talking about on Friday night. The concept of seeing people, of noticing people. Recognizing where they are, what they need, what makes them afraid, what makes them scared, what... You know, you see in a bit, Knesset, a person walks in, a guest walks in, and he does what every guest does to the bit, Knesset. Where should I sit? Whose seat am I sitting in? They see stickers on the benches with names on it. They don't know that that's only for Yom Kippur, for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. All it would take is for you to go like this. See that the person is uncomfortable. Just notice that. So simple. That's Udashili sheet. The guy walks in. He's standing there by himself. Go up to him. Say something. Can I say, come sit here? You know what would be even better? Sit with me. There's a guy who's coming to this bit, Knesset, already for quite some time. And I spoke the other day in one of the classes. I talked about the idea of Magdim Shalom Adam. Be the first person to say hello to someone. Don't let them beat you to hello. Okay? So in that vein, someone went up to him and said, Hello, so nice to have you in the Beit Knesset. I made this drink just for you. The guy almost broke down. He felt like he needs to now come to the shul forever. Why? Because someone said hello to him. Think about the fact that sometimes the greatest gift that you could give someone is your attention. And in the absence of that, we have a lot of teshuvah to do and a lot of silicha, mechila, lechapara. So Rabotai, I'd like to say to all of you, hello. Welcome to the Beit Knesset. I wish there were more seats around this table so I could say, come sit with me. <laughs> but uh, you should always feel comfortable here. Amen.